Gay SA Radio, where you are family. In this series, we listen to the discussions that were held during the South African LGBTI Business Summit, setting an LGBTI economic empowerment agenda. The summit was held at the Equinox Center at the Absa Capital in Santon in Johannesburg on Tuesday the 11th of September 2018. The purpose of this inaugural South African LGBTI Business Summit is to position LGBTI economic muscle in the business sphere by making a strong business case for the economic inclusion of LGBTI people and, by doing that, open up new business and other economic empowerment opportunities for LGBTI people. Discussions during the summit will demonstrate how this can be done, identify opportunities to make it happen and craft strategies to overcome obstacles. In this parallel session, the opportunities for LGBT enterprise development was the topic. The session explored the unique challenges faced by LGBTI business entrepreneurs and assessed what enterprise financing and development opportunities are available to support LGBTI entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, as I've been introduced to Yudhuz uh, Agenda, I'm from Uber, um, and I'll be moderating this breakaway session. Um, this is zone two. Zone two. Um, so, firstly, welcome to everybody. Uh, the session was meant to be an hour long, so it's going to be 50 minutes long. Um, what I'm going to try to do, as um, has been done all morning, is break up the, um, allow each of our panelists 10 minutes to discuss after I've introduced the topic. And, uh, five, two to five minutes um, in between themselves just to discuss anything that they might have picked up from each other's conversation and then I'll open it up to the floor. Um, just as a disclaimer, um, even though I'm in operations and logistics, I'm very, very <laughs> behind the ears with respect to enterprise development and finance, so I'll be leaning heavily on our panelists. Um, and our first panelist um, today um, I'd like to introduce is Wandisiwe Nozazi from the Innovation Hub. And then our second panelist is Sibusisa Baba from Babushka Hospitality. And our third panelist um, from UNDP and Justus Icewood Consulting is Justus Icewood, an international LGBTI activist. And writer. All right. Um, in terms of opportunities for LGBTI enterprises, um, I think I'll just try to frame just the discussion for this um, series in terms of just looking at challenges that LGBTI businesses are asking um, the panelists to think about. Um, that businesses and entrepreneurs specifically face within not just um, the hospitality space, but as Montesiro will discuss in terms of like the tech space, right? Especially with tech being such a major disruptor. 
and how I'll try to bring in use as well then to also then speak in terms of from an investment perspective, how businesses and entrepreneurs themselves can either structure themselves um, to also speak the same language as big, big business and how hopefully the actual state in itself can play a big enough role and a significant enough role to also just change um, issues um, and actual landscape in, in, in terms of it, it being inclusive. Um, so just to kick it off, um, I'd like to ask Wendy Siwa, just given in general, right, um, in terms of this text space, um, how type A personalities usually tend to dominate, which are white males or Asian males, um, and other ones who either have um, access to these resources or to these opportunities, um, and how women and the LGBTI community in itself is somewhat excluded, um, what necessarily the innovation hub in itself sees, um, what role it sees play in this space, please. Hi everyone. Um, I'll start by introducing the Innovation Hub where I work and then I'll go into the question that was asked. So the Innovation Hub is uh, part of the GGTA, which would be the Gauteng Growth Development Agency, focusing on innovation around the Gauteng province. So that means we focus on innovation in the spaces of bioeconomy, green economy, smart industries. So we have incubations all over Gauteng, which focus on that. Uh, we have Ikati Labs focusing on mainly youth and innovation. Uh, we have about, I think about 13 or 14 Ikasi Labs um, around Gauteng townships. So that focuses on township economy. And then we have Green Economy, which is the Climate Innovation Center funded by the Development Bank SA. Uh, focusing on green economy around South Africa. So they have um, partners all over the country um, uh, recruiting small businesses or startups, focusing mainly on new innovations in the space. And then we have the Biopark, which is inside the Innovation Center, which is also in incubation, focusing um, around um, the biospace in terms of um, in the health sector, and um, another system, I'm not sure what it is, uh, but I'll think about it. Um, and then we have MySpace, which is the Mixum incubator, focusing on smart industries, which would be uh, put for under industry 4.0 or Internet of Things or whatever um, innovation that would come, um, whether it's nanotechnology or whatever innovation that anyone would have. So it doesn't uh, specify whether it's women or male or the LGBTI community, anyone who has an innovation that would be a disruptor in the space, we accept. Um, yeah, basically that is what we do. We focus on mentorship, funding, um, also creating business linkages and my space, I focus more on commercialization of these technologies. Um, across South Africa and across Africa and abroad. So I look more for investors or any partners that the small businesses would need to make sure that they are, their product reaches the, 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 the market. Um, in, in terms of the question, I think I have answered it a bit. <laughs> um, we have seen, um, okay, so basically what, how we work, we are guided by the national agenda. Um, so 
our, I think our government would decide what are the goals for that year, what do we want to achieve. Uh, as you all know now, they're facing, they are, they are, um, they want to um, create more jobs. Um, so that is what we are focusing on. We're focusing on innovations that would, uh, while they're in the market, create more jobs and, and create more um, economic opportunities for businesses um, in South Africa to partner with businesses in other countries. So that is what we we focusing on. But uh, on a personal, um, so <laughs> I've been with the innovation app for um, I think it's seven days or eight days. Uh, it's because I've been in the space for more than eight years, so I'm 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 pretty familiar with what they they do. Um, I'm from the Western Cape, uh, so uh, for for me in the seven days that I've been there, what I've asked is we are the women, and and um, what are we doing, especially after the invitation, because that made me think a lot about what we as uh, as an incubator are doing uh, for the community. Um, and we had a, a discussion with my with my superior, and, we, and and I said to her, I want to come in early because I want to hear what everyone has to say and to see how we can implement it in our small corner because we can't stray away from the from the national agenda, of course, um, and it won't be targets, but we sure can make a difference in our small space. Uh, we don't discriminate. We have all types of uh, businesses in our space, um, have, which focus on different solutions for different communities. So, if anyone has a groundbreaking uh, innovation for the LGBTI community, you're welcome to to come and pitch. And, and yeah. Thank you. Um, I think I'll just come back a bit later just to pick up on a few more questions in terms of the LGBTI and the black queer space and the innovation hub. Spusiso, um, um, could you just walk us through, I guess, just for five minutes, or two minutes, <laughs> given our time constraints, <laughs> um, your background in terms of how you find yourself as an SME um, in the hospitality space and especially as a black queer um, in the hospitality space. Hi everyone, uh, I'm Scott Tucker from Rembrandt. Um, I think it's, it's a known fact that um, small businesses are really the backbone of any economy, especially in these tough times where we're going through a recession with the high unemployment rate in this country and stuff. Um, and unfortunately, I just find that um, as my in this country are really not being looked after the, the, the way they, they should be. Unfortunately, so I was asked to speak on what the challenges are uh, as an SME. Um, and whilst I could mention at least a hundred, I chose to um, speak about just three, uh, which I, to me would be the core. And I think to anybody that's an SME would agree to some extent. Um, I'll get into detail on all of them. Uh, Later, but I'm just going to speak about more than anything of funding, uh, red tape, and then education, strong opportunities. Um, most of the people, I think we all at some point, I think a good percentage of us have, have a wish to start your own thing. I mean, 
I know that some of you here are in very good jobs at these nice big corporates, but I think it's an everyday thing that people complain about their jobs and, and that type of thing. And um, my advice would be, if you're in a good job and it's, it's really taking care of you and you're doing your best and you're being appreciated, just, just uh, stick it. There's nothing wrong with being employed, but I think it's even better if you work for yourself. <laughs> Especially if uh, you can see the money and you find the satisfaction. I think for me, more than anything else, I'm in the hospitality space. So I've been eventing in hospitality and catering. More than, I mean, I'm a train chef, by the way. Um, I find the satisfaction. I think I looked at uh, what I used to do. I used to work in media. And it was after a number of years that I decided, look, I always cook. <laughs> so I might as well just do this for a living. So yes, I went to hotel school and the rest, and the rest is easy. And eventually I said to go on my own. And I do want to look back one day when I'm 65 and say, you know, I should have done that. I think it's the worst feeling. I'm not 65 yet. <laughs> um, yeah, let me just get back to the three points. Funding is really a problem, and I, I'll tell you why that is the problem. You obviously cannot start any business unless you have funding. And why we, 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 we face this as a challenge is most people, if you go to them, including family members, by the way, I did go there from them and I said, I wanted to do this, and first thing they threw in my face was, where's the business plan? Is this business going to make money? Am I going to get my money back? You know, the returns and that type of thing. So that does become a problem. Most people would say, I want to start a business. And then you say, okay. And then the first question a person will ask, how much do you need? And most of us would thumbs up and say, I need 100K. How do you arrive at that? And that is a problem. So funding does become a problem in those um, instances. Um, and it's also, I think, the language that is, the business language that is spoken. Most people know what they want, but they just can't put it in the language that your potential funder <laughs> can understand. And that does become a problem. Um, so funding will, to a large extent, be a problem. And then the second thing is red tape. If you are already in business, um, red tape does become a problem, and I'll tell you why. Um, as a small business, I don't think you've taken that seriously by most, especially big corporates. You know, they just see you as a, oh, he's going to bring food if you've been catering, or he's going to drop off the uh, lanyards, you know, those type of things. They don't really look at how important that is to you. You know, that 5,000 5, rands. It might be minute to them, but it's, it, it really means the world to you, because without the 5,000 rands, the supplier, you know, the, 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 the manufacturer, the guy that you went to to, uh, to to manufacture these things, is waiting for the payment, and you went there and tried to negotiate and that type of thing. So, red tape, they'll tell you, they'll throw in their rule, that this is how we operate, this is when we'll pay, we'll pay you after 30 days, we'll pay you after two months, and you, if you really got stick it, and unfortunately, because you really want the business, you find yourself having to steal from Peter to pay for by the time they pay you the 5,000 rents, you owe people 4,000 rents. <laughs> so what's the point? I mean, that throws you out of business. And it doesn't matter what you put on your quote or invoice. They don't even look at it. You might say on the seat of goods or CO2 or anything, they're not interested. So red tape does really get in the way. And then the third and, and, and the last thing is uh, education on, and as I said, education stroke uh, opportunities. Um, what I mean is, um, we know that 
when you go into this, you obviously you you've said it before. You know, if I could do this, um, I know there's customers. You know, I've got a friend that's always been in business. He always says, "My friend, sell anything if you don't have a job." <laughs> but do we really have the education? To, to, you know, have you done the feasibility studies? Where are the opportunities? Who are your potential customers? And I know that uh, our government at the moment is is big on saying they are big on. Uh, enterprise development, small business and stuff, we're not seeing that translate into reality. Mm-hmm. You know, to a really large extent. I am not feeling that. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to a hundred and one summit. You know, for the first time I'm sitting in a session where there's at least hundred people and and possibly ninety percent of them are gay guys and we're not talking about that one's behind or you know that one's about the pretty face. We're talking this I'm actually that makes me very happy, I must be honest. And I'm hoping something will come of this <laughs> and uh, it'll translate into what we're not really seeing or feeling as as a small uh, business owner. So my challenge or the challenge that I throw out to the corporates and the government is can what they say translate into reality. However, I think it's also the onus is also upon us to go back to them, to say, this is what we have to, I mean, earlier on they spoke about the pink, uh, pink brand, which is, they gave us a conservative figure, I think of 54 billion, mm-hmm. if I'm not wrong. I mean, that's a start. We spend so much, <laughs> but um, are we getting that business? I don't know, I, I think those, most of you are probably in corporates as well. It is still a struggle for companies, some of the companies, to use BEE companies. Um, we are still talking about, somebody was saying that they've even shifted the goalpost to say if you are not 71, 50% black owned, 71% women owned, we're not interested in doing business with you. I mean, why does it have to take this long for that to translate? And they were also talking about um, the, the penalties if you don't meet those BEE Stats. I mean, for a big corporate like EPSA or, or Shell to pay a penalty of <coughs> 1 million rents, it means nothing. They'll just continue paying it. They will literally just, when they do their budget, they'll just allocate even 10, <laughs> 10 million rents a year <laughs> to say, if anything, if they say they don't want this 1 million, we'll give them uh, 10 million. And it's not a big deal for them. So we have a challenge. And the challenge is not only are we small businesses, there's also maybe the majority of us are black and we're LGBTI. And the challenge is even bigger because we've got pilots that are running those corporations and unfortunately there's nothing you can do if they're not interested in you. Okay. Thank you. I'm used to this. Um, I think if we could almost like carry that narrative forward, right? Um, with respect to looking at financing and investment in LGBTI businesses and I think from the conversation we had earlier um, with respect to actually finding these kind of businesses how do how do LGBTI businesses and enterprises not only just access um, these opportunities but as specifically mentioned speak the language that corporates and state the state in itself wants to hear when funding or actually growing um, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe uh, I'll start with just a little bit of background of what I do. Um, um, this particular project that I'm working on right now is um, with um, an investor and a donor 
who wants to do more for LGBTI communities. They've, they've um, donated money to LGBTI communities for a long time, but their investments are not LGBTI-specific. Um, when I say they are an impact investor, I mean that um, um, instead of just investing their money into random stock that happens to perform well um, in the stock market, they, um, um, they do a negative analysis. So for example, they don't invest in, in companies that produce arms or in certain countries. Um, and then um, a percentage of their investments, they direct very specifically to companies that, uh, that actually do good, that don't just not do bad, but that, that are actively doing good. Um, and those are the impact investments. Um, the, their goal is to, uh, to use their investments um, as well as to use their donations. So um, they, they're having a hard time finding LGBTI impact investment opportunities because there is no larger sphere of LGBTI impact investments. We, there's a bigger sphere of impact investments, for example, on the environment. There's some um, solar companies that, uh, that um, investors who are interested in the environment can invest in, for example. There's a little bit of impact investment in gender issues, uh, for example, in microfinance banks that specifically cater to uh, women entrepreneurs. Um, but there really isn't a clear definition of what an LGBTI impact investment actually is. And, and that's a question that I'd like to actually direct at, at you all, is um, how do you define an LGBTI impact investment? Does it mean that the company is, is owned by LGBTI people? And, and how do you measure that? Um, does it mean that the company donates to LGBTI causes? Uh, does it mean that the... Uh, that the company is actively supporting LGBTI um, initiatives. Um, so, so how do you define that? Um, and and how, how do you define that in small medium enterprises versus large uh, publicly traded companies, where it's very hard to define what ownership is? Um, is it a company that actively employs LGBTI people, that, that reaches out to LGBTI communities for, for their, when they have a vacancy? Um, so, so that's one question that, that we're trying to answer. But the other question is really also um, how do we f find um, companies that are actively looking for investments? Not every LGBTI business is looking for an investment right now. You know, it may be that they're running just fine and, and um, they don't want to go there. Um, so, so how do you how do you find um, these, these companies? And then. Um, um, a question that, that you already alluded to is um, what else do companies need? Um, and, and you spoke to that too. Uh, um, do LGBTI startups, for example, um, also need to, to have um, um, schooling on how to write a business plan, for example? Do, do, do they need mentorship? And um, is that really part of an investment, or is it better um, situated in a grant that's given to, a, to an organization that provides training, for example, or mentorship? And, and then accompanies the, uh, the companies that um, are then invested in. So 
So actually, I have more questions to you than I can provide answers. So it's going to be I guess then we, this actually does lead us back to you, Wendy Sue, right? Um, I think given um, your experience in the space, right? I mean, and in answering these questions about um, education um, and with respect to the community and I guess the non white space. Uh, what is, I guess, the um, Innovation Hub um, doing in terms of either creating an environment or systems, I guess, that do assist um, the LGBTI community and the black community in itself and the women, and women in businesses to either access such opportunities and actually try to answer some of these questions that Eustace has um, actually posed that investors in themselves want to answer in actually allocating funding. Thank you. Um, so I'll start with just my personal experience um, working in the space for such a short time. Um, so there is the space of small business development in South Africa has evolved over time. So initially, um, it was mainly about putting people in a room and training them and sending them off. Um, and then the government or the sector realized that that is not yielding any results. So now um, we are instructed to bring more impact into the space. So if you train them, it's not enough that you've trained them. What have they gone and implemented? And what, has, what impact has that created in the community? So now we're starting to measure the impact in the ground. So um, I've worked in township businesses um, in my past positions and the, the issues that you are alluding to in terms of funding and in terms of the business language that is spoken, um, that is one of the biggest challenges that the sector has, uh, mainly because um, of our history. So in the townships, they were never meant for business activity or economic activity. So, the, the, the legacy there for anything, doesn't say anything about business. Um, it's just people with ideas who want to do something for themselves. But our government then, or our sector, has to meet those people halfway. So hence now you see us going more into communities and more into rural spaces and creating programs that speak to certain individuals in certain classes of society because we realize that the business plan doesn't speak to my aunt who is in Zolo in the middle of the Eastern Cape who has never gone to Amtata maybe. Um, but she does have a business. She doesn't even know that she has a business, right? So the space does evolve. And I think it evolves mainly because people call out the government to, to make a change. So I am positive that it would happen in our space if we would we, you guys would actually be instrumental in informing policy or even interacting with the, I think it's the National Planning Commission, um, because they are the guys who look more into why policy is not working and who is not being impacted properly in the space. So in the last, um, cause, so you mentioned the red tape. Uh, so in the last, I think in the last two years, They've been doing a study in terms of what is it that um, makes our small businesses not to access funding. Because the budget is there, um, the need is there, but for some reason in the middle, 
something happens and government ends up taking back the, the, the budget that they had for funding. So there must be an issue. So the red tape issue they are dealing with, but you know most, they will, <laughs> is a bit slow to tell. Uh, but in that space, they are dealing with it because also us as practitioners, so I'm going to speak um, around the, the fact that when you try to access this, um, this um, assisting, um, I don't know what to call them, or let's say um, these initiatives, when you try to access the funding or whatever from whatever government um, agency or whoever, um, one of the issues that we have as a sector is that there was no um, there was no education in, in higher learning saying how to develop small businesses. So even the practitioners that you guys work with, they just found themselves in the space and then they just worked. So so we are also struggling with skills with the practitioners that work with small businesses. So it's not only an issue of you guys not having access, but the people that are actively in the space that are supposed to bring the, 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 the offerings to you, they're not fully equipped to do that. So I know some of the agencies in government are working toward that, and if you've noticed, in, even in higher learning, they've started developing modules that teach us how to develop businesses and so forth and so forth. So there is something that is happening, but my urge is that the LGBTI community mustn't get left behind because they are re reinventing the space. So, like recently, I'm sure you guys, 10 years ago, let's say two years ago, three years ago, you didn't hear anything about incubation. All of them, there are incubations all over. So you see, so something is happening, but the most important part is that when, when policy is being created, or even um, the big guys in the space, when they are in the room, the LGBTI community is represented in there. Because we have a conference that is coming up, I think it's in September, no, we are in September, right? In October, uh, about, um, for, for all incubators in the space in South Africa, so we in, if, invite even uh, people in, in, the, in other countries. But in that space, that is where we discuss the way forward as practitioners. So those are the spaces that the LGBTI community need to voice their opinion on. Because then we are the people and we can inform the government and say, this is the cry, this is what we need to do. If we're not impacting this community, then we're not doing our job. Uh, in terms of, there was a question about skills. Uh, in terms of skills, um, you don't uh, find many enterprise development um, agencies that can have a leeway in terms of how they bring the services to you. So usually it's a structured, so hence they said they have rules, this is how it goes. Uh, because they've tasted the true time, it's how it works, it's how when a business goes from point A, B, and C, and D, they've said, okay, this proves that it can be successful. So that's why you find there's not much leeway to, to move around on that space, but fortunately, the Innovation Hub, <laughs> we are able to do that. We sense the need, we inquire from our entrepreneurs what is the need, and we provide skills development and mentors in terms of, we even have mentors that um, advise in terms of contracts, in terms of um, 
funding opportunities or in terms of buying equity in other companies. So it just depends. Once you join our program, it just depends what you as a business individually you want. So we don't blanket our approach. I think that is one of the most unique things about, about the Innovation Hub. And I think also in terms of funding, um, unfortunately you won't get funding unless you go to a bank. You won't come in and say, I want funding from our agencies and you get funding. Mainly because, remember I spoke about impact. So we need to report on impact. So if you give you money, we need to report and say, you actually did have a business and that the due diligence was done and we didn't waste the taxpayer's money, your money. <laughs> so um, we have to have some kind of a backup. Um, but... I don't, um, I think the easier route I would advise, which I always give to small businesses, attach yourself to an enterprise development agency. I know it doesn't seem like it works, but I've worked in the space for so long, it does work. Because when you knock on those doors, you have someone next to you, you have a name, and I can call my, my, my fellow practitioner on the other end and say, Okay, listen, I have this business, they need this amount of money, and we've done the process, but it's, it's stuck there. Can you, can you assist? Because we are partners, because we all work in the space, it's easier for you to get access into other partners once you have aligned yourself to an enterprise development agency. I hope I have... No, you're more than enough. <laughs> That's actually quite a great answer. Um, I see you burning um, to actually um, yeah, to answer a couple of questions. But before um, you, you um, inspire us with your wisdom, um, <laughs> I'd actually like to tie into something you mentioned earlier with respect to the third brand, right? Um, and, and, and maybe you could also, this also then also help answer some of the questions you have with respect to. Um, funding and finding these businesses. As a small um, LGBTI business, right, not only what are the challenges um, do you find in terms of either accessing um, corporates, but is there a way of, I guess, creating a network in and amongst yourselves as an SLME, right? Would that not, let me rephrase, would that not be easier? Um, in terms of that kind of knowledge share um, so that you are able to speak the language of big corporates or investors. I'm just wondering or if that network in itself does exist. This is a question at the risk of sounding cliche. <laughs> you know, they normally say charity begins at home and unfortunately um, it's, it's very few uh, LGBTI people that support other LGBTI businesses. And there's a, there's a reason behind that. We just don't know each other. We don't know that we exist as LGBTI businesses, and that's fact. So I think it, it should be upon us as that sector of the community to establish those type of things. I mean, we should take advantage and leverage on forums like this to start up those things because we've met today for instance and I mean the simple thing that like a business card is a, is a start and if, if we've got that and then we, we could work from there it's as simple as all that and I think we say the least about our businesses than anything else when we meet as gay people and I think we are our own best enemies 
And I think that that needs to change. So that's where we should start. Okay, maybe to get back and answer your question, just as you said to me, um, you asked the question, what is uh, an LGBTI business? I don't know if there's a definition unless somebody in the audience can help me. What is an LGBTI business? To me, business is business. You start up a business, you start up a business, and you start practicing, and you have to do a good job. And luckily, most people do a brilliant job. <laughs> so, um, how do we find them? Was the other question, I think. Uh, in this country, I spoke earlier on about uh, the BEE and you know, government and big corporates wanting to do business with those. You, we get to complete a lot of forms. You know, when you whether want to go on the CSD for government and the, when you do the procurement, basically. And there's obviously provision for whether you black-owned business or women-owned business. I don't see why we can't include a clause yeah, where, you, where you ask whether you're an LGBTI or LGBTI-friendly type business. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that because it really is a tick box. But that tick box has to, has to translate into real practical business. You shouldn't just tick it so, you know, we've got this for our states or for the auditors because I think that's what business would do. So I think... Uh, they normally say the fish rots from the head, and if the government can lead and really uh, filter it down to the, the corporates, we would go in somewhere. I'm sorry, can I just carry on that? What I think is the, um, is the biggest problem that we are faced with is that none of the big corporate companies have made, have made allocations for LGBTI people. Uh, and I think that that's where it actually starts. And the minute we start to make these huge corporates accountable, because we work in those places. Well, I don't. I've always owned my own little business. Um, but I think that that's where it actually starts. So it's very good that the corporates come here and they say they're doing this, they're doing that. But what are they actually doing for the community of the LGBTI people? Mm -hmm. And that is, I have just told Dean uh, at lunch, that on our working committee, that will be one of the things that will be discussed. And we will hold them accountable to it. Because the time has come now. A lot of the, the, the CEOs are gay. Mm -hmm. Why are they not pushing the agenda? Why? Um, I guess on that account, what we can do is then open it up to the floor. Right? Um, I think we'll be able to take three questions. Um, we'll run around and then just have the panelists sponsor. Um, hi everyone, I think for me um, it's a bit of a difficult conversation to have because if you're looking at um, access for small businesses, um, just in Johannesburg alone, just any SME, uh, SME right, um, it's a very difficult thing to have because there's a lack of 
centralizing access for the most basic things. So your average business, small business owner doesn't know about annual returns of the CIPC or where to go for funding. So that information is splattered everywhere, right? So if you take that and think about LGBTI persons, that's even a smaller pie. But one of my biggest concerns is then that when we have these conversations, the focus is on the metropolitan areas. So you're then looking at a much smaller pie of the small pie where you're looking at LGBTI persons outside metropolitan areas where you're almost creating a parallel economy now where they are unable to actually mainstream into the South African economy because there actually is no access at all, you know. Um, I think even with incubators and innovation hubs, they are all around metropolitan areas. So for me, for example, you know, we train small businesses uh, from legal compliance, conflict resolution, all of these things. But what I've noticed is that as an established business owner, it's almost impossible for me to actually get funding to go and train, you know, uh, small business owners outside metropolitan areas. So how much more for someone who has this brilliant idea living in the Northwest, for example, um, and what, what, what really, and especially if you're then a gay person, you know, living in those spaces. So I think that it's important for us to, to really look at the conversation in a realistic point of view, because it's all good and well for us to progress in the metropolitan areas, for us to be able to access this information. Um, but what value is the pink grant when the average gay person outside a metropolitan area does not even participate in that space? Um, thank you very much. Um, the, the, the topic at hand is very sensitive to my heart because um, I was directly involved and um, it, it becomes very emotional at times. Um, I'm an attorney by profession. And the first experience I had when I came to Pretoria all the way from Venda was finding myself working for you know, a big firm. And I realized that it doesn't at any given time represent me as a lesbian woman. And um, yes, the money was good from a rural um, uh, area. And you know, I felt that, OK, uh, the money is good. I can sustain myself. But then, does it really represent me? Does it fulfill me? So, in the process, um, I had to leave to compromise the financial stability I had to go work in a small NGO. And I'm sure Don can um, confirm that. We've worked together at some point. And be that as it may, I realized that still there's, there's a vacuum, especially in the legal fraternity. And now that I've realized that gap, what do I do as an individual? Because as much as we will be crying about big corporates, those big corporates, they start, they start somewhere. And I put it upon myself to say, if um, there is Adams and Adams, for argument's sake, why can't we have our own LGBTI legal center? Where we have all these young upcoming lawyers, it's very difficult to get articles. You pass your, your LLB and all that, you can spend two years a year without getting articles because it's just so difficult. And I, I, I then started my own practice, which is six years now. And in the process, right now as we speak, I have around seven employees. So with that, if you ask me now, 
how many LGBTIs I have in the practice. Now, why? Those are some of the things that, you know, as a circle, we need to, 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 to come outside the space. And I think a year, two years back, I, I, I created LGBTI Legal Center. I put up an advert to say, guys, um, the fully attorneys will fund the structure. I need candidate attorneys. I need people in the legal uh, fraternity. Let's start this. If we are to fight our way in, we can do it. Ask me if I get a single LGBTI person towards that call. Nothing. But at the end, it will be crime foul. I think, you know, as young entrepreneurs, as young people, it, we also have to put it upon our shoulders to say, I need to do something. If APSA or big entities cannot be able to accommodate me, I must accommodate myself and do something about it. It is very difficult from a legal facility to get funding. For me to get to the practice to be where it is, I have to drive a taxi, to swallow my pride, drive a taxi and find the, 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 the fare. And it is where it is now because of hard work. And that's one area that we also need to, as young people, work around it, group ourselves, and say, this is what we want to achieve. If, as lawyers, we want to be one of that big firm that is recognized to be an LGBTI business, like what you said, you ask if we do have something called LGBTI business. We can, we can break the boundaries. We can have one big entity that will be advocating um, uh, rights of LGBTIs. We work towards all the activities that has to do with LGBTIs. And even maybe outside the space. Only if we group ourselves and we keep the focus. And I think that's the only way that we can champion all. <laughs> okay, I don't want to sound from the next um, because I still have a major problem to further stigmatize myself in business. I started when I was 25 years uh, and I'm 30 this year. So I run two companies that are national <coughs> and um, I also don't have any LGBTI um, employees. Uh, I do find quite a number of LGBTI um, activities, but I have an issue having to go out and to get business because of a label I need to carry. That's just my personal view. I feel that in the country we do have a major problem with assisting SMMEs. It's a generic problem across all races and, and on all uh, groupings. And um, there is where we need to do a lot of work first, is to make sure that we have these hearts all over and assist those people who want to further themselves as entrepreneurs. Um, thinking of what this lady said earlier on, uh, I also agree with her sentiment because um, I don't know how Uh, let, let me rephrase this because I'm in a different setting now. Um, my big issue is, is basically trying to think, you know, why we would, uh, what would we as gay people want from business? Because like the attorney said earlier on, she's there because of hard work. Um, where I am because of hard work. 
So, um, being gay and labeled as a gay firm or LGBTI firm, is that in any way going to assist me? That's my question. I think it's my confidence, it's my hard work, is wanting to be the best in what I do, that's getting me where I want to be, and those are the principles I adopt. So uh, I really do have a problem, and I'm sorry to bring it up again, but it irritates me that we want to stigmatize ourselves further uh, and think that that might uh, allow us to um, be players in the field. Um, I just, I'm Hendrik from Gays Radio. I need to challenge you, CBC, so one can start a business with no money. Uh, you just need to go very hungry for a long time. find people who will work for you. It's possible. Secondly, there are LGBTI businesses. We are one. We are a gay business. It's in our name, Gay SA Radio. Ten of our twelve staff are gay or lesbian or bisexual or trans. Um, and we serve a gay audience or an LGBTQ plus audience and our content is all LGBTQ plus. There are several other people in the room who also run gay uh, businesses. Uh, Tumi from Durban has got a club um, app uh, that Richard has. So we are, and I think we feel slightly excluded today because we're talking about people who work for regular businesses and in the corporate world and gay people in that. But there's no accent on us uh, gay businesses or LGBT businesses that are struggling to get funding, we can't get funding, um, tax is a huge problem as a small business, you immediately expect it to pay huge amounts of tax, um, whether that's sustainable or not, red tape, we all know that. So it is possible, it's just really, really, really difficult. But three years later we're still here and we're starting to do something, so maybe we'll all get to do something in the end. Um, so we're about to actually run out of time. Um, yeah, um, just after this one, um, and just to wrap everything up and have our panelists uh, just have a few thoughts. Uh, I'll come to you just now. Um, I think what we were also hoping to do, um, we weren't excluding any businesses, right? Um, at all. And what we were trying to probably illustrate is how and why we had people like Swiss here. Um, and and Wandis, Wandi and Yestas, um, in terms of just the different spheres and the SMEs itself, um, how you could, I guess, either speak the language of business um, and what that language actually looks like in terms of laws of finance. So I just want to raise two points. I think the first point is the, the matter of, of what is the corporate's role and, and not taking away from gay business, but what is the corporate's role really? And I think we, we, we touched on it in our first discussion. It's inclusivity. And that's what it is. And, 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 and equal opportunity. I don't think we need another form of, of and I'm sorry, I'm going to just say bluntly, we don't need gay handouts. We really don't. As a, as, as a community, we don't need gay handouts. We're doing quite good for ourselves without the handouts. So let's just, let's just leave that outside of the, the scope. The, the second thing that I just want to touch on is I believe that's where corporate role comes in, right? In terms of how do we advocate for small business, whether LGBT or, or, or not, but how do we advocate tax relief for a, as a business to start up? How do we assist as corporate? Because we believe in, 
in the LGBT, let's say, discussion, how do we assist gay business there? That, those are the que questions about, about what is enterprise development in the LGBT community. Uh, that's the questions we need to answer. It's not, that, that stick approach is never going to work. Just to answer your question, Alistair, you know, I'm part of the Plus Working Committee and we've been around the country and we've workshopped and engaged with over 500,000 uh, business people. I won't say LGBT, but the fact that they're gay and they happen to be in business is another thing. So people first view themselves as, as business people and th this agenda is not about creating preferential um, access, it's about creating equal access. And I think once we understand that, we can then drive the agenda further. And it's about creating a platform and a network where we can share our ideas and how best to advance our business case as people. Firstly, you know, because when you compete in the business world, you're not competing against LGBT-type businesses. You're competing against the market and the, what, what the market has to offer at, at as its best. So I think the perception that we are here to kind of get preferential treatment is completely wrong. And also, the anecdotal experience that we gathered from throughout the country is that people are doing great stuff. And I mean, they're doing it in the most trying economic times but they realize that, you know, for them to succeed, they have to run their businesses. And that's what they're doing, and this is why PLUS is there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, I really have to close it down. <laughs> when is it, please, just close remarks, please. Okay, for, okay, for me, um, I think the question was in terms of how do you guys reach out to the sector to make sure that uh, you, the SMEs and the community are supported. Um, so I'll have a, I'll be, I'll be quick, right? <laughs> so in, um, I used to work in Utenek. Utenek is a small town outside of Port Elizabeth. Uh, they have three townships. They, they only have clinics schools like the basics they don't have the luxury of having a CEDA or NYDA and they have to take a, a train uh, to, to, to Port Elizabeth so I used to work there so what we did there we combined them into sectors so we went out into the community we gathered all the businesses that are in the township whether it's a mom who is suing in, his, in her bedroom or um, a guy who worked for VW and is a mechanic outside his house. We, everyone who was making money, uh, doing something, we gathered them together, and then they formed associations. Associations according to what? Associations according to whatever they wanted to form it, according to sectors or whatever. So I am thinking that is what the the this session is about. You guys can form your own community. Our job as government agencies or practitioners is to bring the service to you. So you can't send me an email and I say I can't come because it's your right to get the service and you are calling me to bring the service to you. So in terms of SARS, for example, we're able to get practitioners from PE to drive all the way to Utenay to tell them what rebates they could get from SARS, how to do their tax returns and so forth. We got everyone because remember at the back of my mind I have a KPI I have numbers you guys have numbers that is what I want you have businesses that is what I want so in, te in, in how we could work together that is how I see it working if you guys have big numbers you can call anyone to come and give you a service especially if they are government they have no choice but to come and be and also give you information
So um, I think that is what I can say. And also, I think it's important to remember that any uh, discrimination that has happened in the past or still happening today is because as humans, we are we have our own beliefs and um, we, we grow up in different homes with different values and what's not and what not. But it's important to remember that it's our job to remind them that this is not right, this is not how it should be. So even if I'm alone at work, like now I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my peers <laughs> that we need to do something for the community, but it doesn't mean that as a person alone I can't do it, right? You can make a difference in your own corner. So I don't think this platform um, that could not bring change. I think it's possible. And I am looking forward to more invites, to more business meetings. <laughs> and I will sure to invite more of my peers if you guys want us to come and address the community in all the other opportunities that are out there and also how to infiltrate the supply development arena or enterprise development arena because I think there's great opportunity there but I just think it's the fear of the unknown or the red tape as he mentioned it but I think if you have a partner who can navigate it with you it's worth the chance or it's worth the try. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, um, just very quickly. Uh, we have a constitution in this country that advocates equal rights. It says we are all equal uh, before the law, etc., etc., and that filters down to corporates as well from government. Um, I think you took the words out of my mouth. We're really not out there with a begging bowl. We just say we want equal access to everything else that everybody has access to. And if it must be known that you want that because you're a gay man, there's nothing wrong with that and they just need to know that. And my parting shot is, can this not be a, another talk shop? Because this country is most popular for commissions and investigations and stuff. <laughs> that amounts to nothing at the end. Thank you. Thank you. Um, to, um, to the question about um, handouts versus investments, um, an investment is is something where the person who gives money wants money back, and then <coughs> um, that is not a handout. Um, and and I think um, we need to look at at um, investments in LGBTI businesses by LGBTI investors as as being somewhere between um, asking your aunt uh, for a loan for your business and going to the bank for a loan for for your business. Um, and, and I think the conditions also need to be somewhere in the middle. Um, you want your money back, but maybe not quite at market rate. Um, and I think as long as LGBTI business people have difficulties getting loans from banks, and I'm sure they do, um, especially LGBTI business people who don't um, conform to what looks like a heterosexual norm, a white heterosexual norm at that. Um, I, I, I dare you find a bank that, that um, gives you loans at, at exactly the same conditions. As long as that happens, we have to um, apply the principle of solidarity within our community 
and, and look at um, business development as a principle of, of solidarity and, and, um, and a principle of, of uh, um, pulling, pulling our communities off by ourselves. Um, I'd like to say thank you to our panelists and thank you to you guys for um, participating. Please just give our panelists a round of applause. This is Gay Essay Radio's coverage of the South African LGBTI Business Summit.